This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's great to have you with us, by the way, and you can always text the show. Many have already. The DVP and the gardener might be taken over by the province of Ontario. Ontario's conservative Doug Ford government, which has been very much like, hey, city of Toronto, fix your own house. Look inside your own purse strings. And these are fair things to say, right? Ontario has signaled during talks with this new city-provincial working group. We've had one meeting, one meeting with Olivia Chow, the mayor, Doug Ford, the premier, and it was five weeks ago. And then they stood and had a joint press conference and said, we're going to put a group together that's going to work. And we're going to double back in November, which is Wednesday. But it doesn't mean they'll double back November 1st. So the talks have been developing kind of behind the scenes, like nobody's coming out and updating us or you every day about this stuff. But the idea that the Gardner Expressway and the Don Valley Parkway would be taken over by the province, I thought was a pipe dream. I thought it was uh, bonkers. And I told one of the main candidates that a bunch of times, Anna Bailau, finished second she was in the uh, in the mayor's race she ran a valiant campaign if you remember the way the votes were counted on election night it looked like for about half an hour bylaw was going to be the mayor and then the advance uh, vote votes came in they got just dumped like you'd you know dump a box of confetti and a lot of those votes were olivia chow's a lot of them were and then all of a sudden the scoreboard if you will changed and it was Team Chow ahead of Team Bilo. But Bilo's the one that said, I will go to the province and I can I know how to negotiate. I know how to be a doggish, if you will, and I'm gonna get that taken care of. But this is a massive story. David Ryder's gonna join us an hour from now at seven ten. Um, I think there's there's a possibility we'll get Anna Bilow on this morning to talk about that it's not an original idea but she said i'm the one that will get it done and it looks like it may get done anyway at a a huge benefit to the city this is a big win for the city of toronto in my estimation if it ends up happening because we're really cooked we're really cooked money wise and you know that and we talk about that and we talk about the city's finances being a big problem but if this ends up getting done and the, the province says, we're kind of flush with cash right now. We don't mind covering this. That's huge news. Huge news. It doesn't solve everything about how dire Toronto's financial circumstances are. But if Queen's Park steps in and says, we got you. We'll do the upkeep. We'll do the potholes. We'll do the highway signs. We'll do the gates. We'll do all of that. That's a major burden relieved from the city. It is. It absolutely is. It also keeps the gardener up. And I didn't mention that uh, prior to this segment. But it, it abs- you can't tear the gardener down if the province says, leave the gardener alone. That's, our, that's ours now. <laughs> There's no consideration to either rebuild the gardener or take parts of it down. And that's the light bulb currently going off as I speak about it. But that's really, really significant. And we're going to get to more on that story as the morning continues. But as you wake up, it's a Toronto. Sometimes you see stories coming a mile away with the city. And you almost know the circumstance. Oh, something will be delayed. Something will cost more than you otherwise thought. But this is one I didn't see coming. And if someone else did, they're, they're way more prescient than me. I didn't think when the city and the province got together, 
we were talking DVP and Gardner getting absorbed and in essence taken over, um, transferred to provincial control instead of city control. I did not see it, not in the least. As we mentioned uh, in uh, news, Dave Bradley, 6 o'clock news, uh, people are still looking in Maine for this Marine Reservist, this 40-year-old man who is on the loose. Uh, They believe the suspect in a mass shooting Wednesday night in uh, Lewiston, Maine, but 260K south of the New Brunswick border is Robert Cart. He's a U.S. Army Reservist. He was at a training facility in Saco, Maine, and uh, he obviously went went um, ballistic Wednesday night is the best way I can put it um, and fatally shot 18 people at a bowling alley and then a bar. Um, But yes, people in Maine are waking up looking for him and authorities from all over the place, including outside the state. I heard last night they've got police from Connecticut. They've got police from New Hampshire. They've got police from Massachusetts. Um, And many of those same police in Massachusetts probably worked um, the Boston Marathon manhunt, because this has now turned into a manhunt. And it's a rarity with mass shootings in the United States. For all the ones we have, usually, usually we've got a scenario where that person has shot himself or police have found that that person, usually a man, quite obviously, and they've shot him or them. That's not the case here. And so there's considerable considerable concern about it and understandably so this is um this is from last night um is uh, chris cuomo on news nation formerly of cnn speaking to two witnesses who were in the bowling alley and two men they're still really shaken up one was there with a youth group he's responsible for 12 kids he had 12 kids of his own kind of shepherding them around the bowling alley and he's obviously beyond distraught here's the interview how old were the kids in there I had about 15, ranging from 7 to 18. And what do you, how many people do you think were in the bowling alley? I would give it a good 75 people. Yeah. So, all right, so this just happens as suddenly as expected, where the guy just walks in and this begins. Did you get to put eyes on him at all, and what do you remember of your sense of what was happening? Um, I remember it like... It just happened because every time I blink, I uh, I picture it again. Big bang, turn around. I see the I see him, no more than thirty feet away from me. Thirty feet, and he's got kids that are everywhere. Like, have you ever taken? Have you ever taken four kids anywhere? Let me paint that picture for you. It's it's hectic as it is. I've taken kids to um, Dave and Buster's, four, five, seven, or eight year olds. <laughs> Your brain is going is going out the uh, it is crazy to think about okay one's off to the bathroom here one's getting another coke at the vending machine they're everywhere one's playing this game two are playing that game i can't imagine you're thinking any chaotic situation you're not prepped for not at all so uh, a rather remarkable situation by the way the letter um that they believe this uh suspect left behind and his name's 40 year old robert card a firearms instructor White guy, beard, brown hair. They still can't track him down. Um, this, uh, this is some of the details from the letter. Aaron Katursky uh, did a voicer. Uh, he's an Associated Press reporter. And this is some of what they believe was left behind by the shooter. 
That note was found as authorities were carrying out a different search at one of the properties associated with the shooting suspect, Robert Card. It was addressed to his son, we're told. And while it did not reveal any details about why the mass shootings may have occurred, it did contain what sources described to us as rantings and also some rather basic information like the suspect's bank account records to perhaps assist his son should the father no longer be there. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. A tremendous uh, campaign to become the city's mayor for Anna Bailao, and she was the candidate at the forefront of this issue, and she joins us now on 640 Toronto. Good morning again, and thanks for getting up for our show. You know we appreciate it. Good morning, Greg. No problem. This is massive news. And again, I I would have been somebody. Others would have said to you, I don't know why. What's in it for the Ford government to do this? But it looks like there's a groundswell of support. What's your reaction to the story? Absolutely. Lots lots of people said, why? Yeah, I don't (laughs) think he'll do that. But lots of people also said, absolutely. It makes no sense that the city of Toronto is paying for this. And uh, and so I, I would like to start by uh, giving kudos to the premier and the mayor to sit down to talk mm. about this fiscal situation. I think that this is really important work that is happening and looking at ways that the province can come to the table and assist the city of Toronto is imperative and kudos on them to look at the different solutions. I think it's great that they're looking at the Garden NDP because it makes sense. Uh, the reason why I was putting this forward is You know, I was looking for things that um, uh, Ford could say yes to. And we know that he doesn't want to go into new taxes. We know that most of his support is around the 905. Who uses the Garden and the DVP most? People that live around Toronto. That was why people in Toronto uh, really uh, connected with this issue, because it's only coming out of our property taxes, but the majority of the people actually that use it are people from outside Toronto. So this mm. should be coming from in- income taxes as well. So there's a fairness issue. The other thing is that it's one thing that doesn't cause a huge precedent for the premier as well, because there's not a lot of municipalities that are dealing with uh, the highways in the, in the region. We're the only one. If you remember, I used to tell the example yeah. of somebody driving on the QEW. And do you notice when you come out, uh, you're coming uh, from Mississauga, do you notice when you come out of uh, the QEW and get into the garden? But the residents of Mississauga don't pay and the residents of Toronto pay. So kudos on them to be looking into this. Anna, the number is $1.9 billion in the city budget over a 10-year capital plan to rehabilitate the gardener right away. I mean, that's uh, unless I'm missing it, that's $190 million a year that the city does not have to spend if the province take this. Would I read that properly? Uh, absolutely. And if you remember correctly, I used to always say, you know, we need a new deal for the city and it starts with the garden and the DVP. So this is not going to solve the entire budget hole. But what they're talking mm-hmm. about here is the kind of solutions that we need to look at in Toronto. Toronto has over a billion dollars on its budget that are actually the responsibilities of federal and provincial government. The Gardner and the DVP used to be provincial highways. They were downloaded on us. Housing used to be provincial responsibilities. Toronto has 90% of the social housing in the region. Again, let's look at it. TTC, we're the only municipality with a subway. Everybody uses it that comes in here, and we're the only ones paying through property taxes. So the fact that they're looking at these things is very good. 
They need to continue. This is a very, very good first step. It needed to happen. It makes sense. And and listen, I, I heard you talk about the fact that now this argument, keep it up, take it down. Yeah. Does it doesn't happen. Absolutely. That's another advantage of this back and forth, back and forth that we keep having that uh, that that issue will uh, will pretty much be uh, be gone from City Hall with the one point nine billion dollars on, on capital. Right. Because let, let's let's finish there. We got about a minute to finish. But that's that's exactly, you know, you talked to enough people, door knocked people on the east side. They were really stressed about the idea of no Gardner connection to get to downtown. They were really worried that Josh Matlow, Olivia Chow, that's that's their right. That's the, the they can put that in their platform they're worried that bill that was getting knocked down yeah and the back and forth right the bill the millions of dollars that have already been spent and uh and that you know there was talks of now you know going back to everything doing a different environmental assessment the impact that it could have on you know things like the uh the uh lrt the waterfront lrt and so on so that that would also uh um you know deal with a lot of these issues but the most important is really the financial uh and and i think it's great that they're uh, they're looking at it. I knew that it, it made sense because there's a lot of things that would tick the box uh, for the province as well. And when you're negotiating, that's what you need to you need to be a step ahead of the other person in front of you, right? And 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 this is something that that uh, the city and the province can can agree on. Well, yeah, you you were at the forefront during the campaign for it, uh, and it's massively important and massively good financial news for the city. Thanks for stepping up for our show this morning. I appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Toronto Today. I'm very pleased to welcome on Jim Crisula, CBS correspondent, joining us right now. Hi, good morning, Greg. Do we know anything new this morning uh, that we didn't know going to bed the night before? Or do we just see the same things almost yesterday for Maine residents? Stay home from school, stay home from work, skip that hair appointment, don't go for a run. What are they telling people in that state? That's that's about it. Uh, at this point still, this 40-year-old suspect is still on the run. There have been reports late yesterday, Greg, that possibly he was spotted in Queens in New York City. That, that was uh, unfounded. Yeah. But again, yeah, as you can imagine, people very, very much on edge. Lewiston, Maine, is the second biggest city in the state. About 37,000 people call that lovely area home. Yeah, as you mentioned, schools are closed. Most businesses are closed. Uh, DMV offices, a lot of state offices closed in the Lewiston area, even into Portland, the, the biggest city in the state. L.L. Yeah. Uh, Bean, of course, has that, that huge, they're based in Freeport, Maine, with the big stores there and all that, the outlet stores, that's all closed again today, a second day. This is also very rare for a mass shooting scenario, Jim, um, in that usually the killers, um, if you will, either have, have shot themselves to death or they've been shot by law enforcement or authorities. A manhunt for a mass shooting is, this is reminding me more of the Boston Marathon manhunt than anything else. Yeah, and I remember years ago covering to Greg in Atlanta, a uh, inmate who was appearing in court was able to to break free of shackles and got a bailiff's gun. I remember and shot and killed the judge and several other people in the Fulton County mm-hmm. courthouse. And then it, he was on the run for a couple of days. And I remember being in Atlanta, and you could just almost see on the faces of people that the the, the concern and. Uh, you know, it's like in a similar to situation now in Maine, where this guy could be anywhere, really, in, in New England, for that matter. 
And you could just see on the faces of people And when I was in Atlanta covering that story that there's so much concern etched on the faces of people. And I'm sure that's the same situation in Maine with this going on. And as I say, even in other neighboring states in New England. Jim Crisula, our guest on Toronto Today, CBS News correspondent, joining us on 640 Toronto. I think you hit on something really, really prescient and hit it right on target. There's no way for these communities in Maine to really begin a grieving process right now when there's still such an inherent danger out there. Exactly. That's a good point. Yes. Um, and again, the people still in the hospital recovering in terms of, of their loved ones, even just going out to the hospital to, to see them, to see how they are, that, that encourage them along. So, yeah, just very much on edge as we head into the weekend. I, I think one interesting thing, Greg, if this guy is still on the loose or hasn't been found dead or something, by Sunday, will churches cancel services? That's, that's right. An interesting question. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I was even thinking high school football games tonight. Uh, it, that's not going to work for people. That's not going to work for people. But but to your point, is it statewide? Is it neighboring states? Is it New Hampshire? It's Massachusetts. Like there ends up being a domino effect sometimes of concern, and I understand sure. it. This is this is not um, you know this is not just a, a random person that walked out of a facility. This is allegedly a mass murderer and Wednesday night, a mass murderer. And somebody who apparently obviously knows what he's doing with, with right. There, there have been talk that he was a, a, a trained firearms and firearms instructor. Uh, he's a member of the U S army reserve. Uh, the army reserve said yesterday that they did not train him. He did not receive any weapons training from them, but again, he certainly knows mm. what he's doing there. There had been reports yesterday that the U.S. Coast Guard uh, was searching a couple of rivers uh, in the Kinney-Bunkport, Maine area, uh, after um, there were reports that possibly a a boat of his had been found in one of the rivers. So, uh, again, those searches turned up nothing. Yeah, the boat story is quite frightening, and I'm glad you brought it up because that's what I wanted to end with. The idea that he's got... This uh, alleged shooter, um, Robert Card, has three watercraft registrations, two Sea-Doo's and a Bayliner. So if you're going to plot this out and you're going to go where you're going to go and you think you can escape via water instead of land, it wouldn't be something people would be ready for. That's exactly right. And, and the Coast Guard did search with, with, air, with uh, air assets, helicopters and airplanes as well as boats. Uh, so, again, uh, surrounding states, I know uh, yeah. New Hampshire – Massachusetts, they have sent a police in to help in the search. Even NYPD, New York City police, they have sent some officers to Maine to help with this massive, massive search. Mm. Jim, thanks so much for giving us uh, your time today and updating us on this story. I appreciate your insight and, and your reporting on it. My pleasure, Greg. Take care. Stay well. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Neil Orlowski's been on our show before um, from the Abraham Global Project Initiative, and it's or a peace initiative, rather, and it's great to have you back on. Thanks for making the time. Thank you very much. <laughs> when I mention those things, it's been, um, I, I think it's I think it's only going in one direction. I think it's getting more difficult. We're hearing, getting calls all the time from uh, Jewish listeners saying, that they're that they're more troubled, that they're more worried about their kids at school. I sat down the the day after the the massacre um, by Hamas, and I sat down with friends on October eighth, and I said the next couple weeks are going to be really tricky. The question is, what are the next three or four, five weeks going to be? Do you have those same questions? 
I not only have those same questions, I'm getting the same emails from people asking and, and looking for hope. And, you know, I'm a realist. I think things are honestly going to get worse. I wish I could tell you uh, I'm hopeful it's look like, but with the silence coming out from university administration, with the silence coming out from our, our, our leaders that really make the decisions, you know, we heard it during the Black Lives Matter protest that silence is complacency. Well, where are those voices today? Where are the allies? And for parents of students and university students that are calling me, I don't have good news for them. We're seeing more and more protests across college campuses in the United States and more so very troublesome in, in Toronto and in, in the GTA. And I'm worried. You saw as well, there's one, and it's actually starting um, close enough to me, um, a, a Bikers for Hamas rally where their plan is to uh, ride from uh, Pickering closer to the city. But that's not even, that's not, you know, about let's get a two-state solution. Let's let's protest aggression in Gaza. That's, the, and you've seen the signs also for glory to our martyrs. I mean, who are we talking about here? Leaving it open-ended might make it easy to tap dance away from an excuse, but I think we all know what the subtlety of the message is there. Right. This no longer has anything to do with Palestinian determination, Palestinian society, or an independent Palestinian state. This is um, a modern-day scene with the bikers for Hamas or riders for Hamas and all these protests is they are specifically and calculated protesting Jewish-owned businesses, Jewish communities, Jewish schools. We've heard for the last couple of years that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, and us in the Jewish community are saying that it's one and the same. What we're seeing displayed is now that anti-Zionism, the, the protesting against the Israeli regime or Jewish indigeneity to the Middle East and North Africa, is in fact targeting Jewish-owned places. We're seeing that at York University specifically, when just yesterday they're issuing a letter that the one and only restaurant on campus is being boycotted for alleged ties to Israel. So a religious um, dietary restriction somehow is connected to Israel. We're seeing professors at the University of Toronto, in students, we've had students that I've spoken to directly, who have been instructed to do class online. We're seeing this at UBC with sign drops alleging Israel is committing genocide. However, when you press these students of what is genocide, all they're doing is parroting the footnotes without actually being able to. These are not safe spaces. You know, as I mentioned, silence is complacency, even with the TMU. And this is something that's been making the news. Yeah. Why did it take 72 hours for the university to issue a letter of condemnation? If we did not support it, that letter would have gone out immediately. We can, sorry, we can say that this is because we can, no, we know that the news cycle, we know that social media runs 20 issue the letter immediately, and then reissue it Monday morning. Neil Orlowski is our guest director of education, chair of global education with the Abraham Global Peace Initiative. I got in the car yesterday, and this is one of the first things I heard on John Oakley's show. I want you to hear from this caller uh, who's Jewish. Her name is Irene. I was going out one night, and I wanted to put my earrings on, and it's a star, David. And my son said, Mom, that's not a good idea. And I said, what? And I looked, and I said, oh, oh, yeah. So I took them off. <laughs> Why is this happening again? 
It's terrible to listen to. And I know all of us have leapt to the defense of people saying, I don't feel safe wearing a hijab on my head or or a Catholic, uh, you know, a, a, a cross um, a, a for Catholicism or Christianity. We got to have the same reaction to this. We have to. Absolutely. Every citizen of Ontario, every citizen of the world should feel safe to practice their religion, to be proud of their religion. Nobody should hide their Star of David. Nobody should have to remove their, their hijab. What we have seen is the co-option of the, the conflict between Israel and a Canadian-recognized terrorist organization, Hamas, to become nothing more than Jew-hunting and Jew-hating. Um, last thing, and I'm almost, I'm worried I'm going to do this every day as a public service, but I don't, I don't care if it sounds repetitive because somebody will hear it for the first time. Neil, the From the River to the Sea, Palestine will be free chant. I watched high school kids do it yesterday on some of the footage with high school kids walking out. We've all had our moments as a parent, and I know my dad did with me saying, hey, that word's no good. You might not know. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt this one time, but you don't use it again. We've all had those conversations. This slogan is just not making the rounds as being patently about the the elimination of a country and a race as it should be. Yep, it, that's exactly it. From river, sea, from river to sea is part of the Hamas charter that calls for the destruction of the state of Israel, destruction of the Jewish um, people, in the Middle East region, well as Jews internationally. It is a coded dog whistle for genocide against the Jews. And anybody that tries to say differently is doing nothing more than misconstruing facts, misinforming the public, and distorting the Holocaust. What they're looking for is the eradication of the Jewish people, not just from the Middle East, but from around the world. And that's what Hamas has stood for. And anybody that doesn't see that and says that these chants are looking for Palestinian solidarity are wrong. Yeah, we should only have to tell you once uh, that it's it's no good, regardless of people's politics, ideology, or how they view the conflict. Thank you for this. Please stay safe, and we'll keep in touch, and we'll keep going on this because it's too important not to. Thank you very much, and have a great day to you and all your listeners.